You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yep, I'm here. Aaron's here. Tommy's here. The show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. I hope everybody enjoyed the long weekend. Tommy is here. He just chugged half a bottle of Robitussin, so he's ready for the show. You don't really measure out the uh, doses of Robitussin. You just took that thing and swigged like half of it. Well, you know, it's cough medicine, Kevin. I've drank worse. Yeah, you, and I've drank more of worse. Tommy likes that purple drink. <laughs> um, your shirt's not asthma that you've been suffering. No, from. I've, I've, I've I talked to a doctor about that. You did. You, you mentioned that I and I explained the story, and he said that guy's crazy. Okay, don't listen to him. All right, just looking out for you. Uh, so. Lots to get to. The NBA Finals are set. Toronto um, finished off. On uh, Saturday night, Milwaukee will get to the NBA Finals. The Nats took three of four from Miami over the weekend. It should have been four of four. Could have been. Um, And the Stanley Cup Finals started last night. I don't know that we'll have much on that today. Um, Oh, I've got something to say. What? About the Stanley Cup Finals. We should all be rooting for uh, St. Louis. Because of Because we do not need to see, to be subjected to another duck boat parade in Boston. Right. Okay. Fair enough. enough. I, you know what? I'm rooting for St. Louis because they haven't won the cup since 1970, and it's a good yes. hockey town. Um, they lost last night, game yeah. one. They had a two nothing lead and lost. Uh, we've got the Kuznetsov news to get to. Donovan McNabb thinks he's a Hall of Famer, and Gilbert Arenas spoke and very honestly about who he was rooting for when he was on his own team's bench. Uh, we'll get to all of that a little bit later on, but. Um, I wanted to start with some Redskins because John Kime, who's got the John Kime podcast, and you can listen to the John Kime podcast the same way you listen to this one um, on any podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all of them. John Kime, who covers the team for ESPN. Everybody knows that. Well, no, not everybody knows that. You never assume when, at least when you're writing, I don't know about you because you just talk off the cuff and don't <laughs> yes. think about what you're saying. Most of the time. But you should never assume that people have that knowledge. You should always operate under the premise that this is the first time they've heard of John Kime. And that sort of covers you for everything. I don't agree with you on that in this particular context. John's been a guest on this podcast, I don't know, a dozen times on the radio show that you and I did together for seven plus years, he was probably on an average of five times a year. Look, this is not times to seven, diminish. Thirty-five years. This so is not to diminish John. It Kime. seems to me that you're trying to no, diminish no. John Kime. And he would tell Everybody you this. Everybody knows who John Kime is. He would tell I you this. I know he would because he's a journalist, yes. as you are sometimes, not all the time. In fact, more, more of the time, you are just an opinion maker. A columnist. You're a traffic accident. But John Kime, everybody knows who John Kime is, and he's got a podcast. So listen to it. He had Lewis Riddick. And he covers the team for ESPN. And he covers the team for ESPN. The team being, by the way, let me just make it clear, the team that he covers is the Washington Redskins for ESPN. Just in the event that when Tommy said he covers the team, you weren't sure which team he was talking about. It could be the Washington Valor. Could, Could have been. Who's that? That's the uh, that's Ted's uh, Arena League team. Oh, that's the Arena the, the, League team. The, the reigning Arena League champions. Are they st- so that's that thing has survived? Actually, they added I think at least one or two teams. This Are year. they outdrawing the Nats? No, not quite. 
Not, not quite. I watched some of the game yesterday. It didn't look like anybody was there on a holiday. Really? Well, I, I was there. Aaron, what was the attendance yesterday? I was there Friday night, and uh, the attendance wasn't very good. I was supposed to go Sunday. I decided to play golf instead. <laughs> um, I, this is why there's no hope for you, but go ahead. Well, here it is. I've got it actually in the newspaper, which I still have here. You know, Look I, at I, you, Andy and Andy Pullen invitation. <laughs> Andy Pullen and I are the only two. I, You know why I like it, because you can spread it out and you got the stuff. I read it online mostly, but... 21,048 was the attendance. Now, it is the Marlins. There is no way there were 21,000 in really? the park. I don't think so. Probably that may be not. paid attendance. Probably not. I don't know that that was actual attendance. Well, no, that's always paid attendance. Yeah, okay, listed. there you go. So I bet it, would, it was half that. No, it wasn't half that. Okay. It wasn't 11,000 people, And you know Kevin. this because what? Because 11,000 people have – that size crowd has never come to a Nationals game. Okay. I bet it was forty percent less. Than oh, the paid I'll bet number. it was probably about seventy percent of what that. Did you watch was. any of the game? It doesn't matter. I'm I asking you if you watched any it of the game. Doesn't Answer matter the question. whether I watched the game or not. I've been to five, six hundred, seven hundred Nats games over the years. I know what the crowds are going to be and the minimum, the minimum low attendance, and it's not going to be forty percent of twenty-one thousand. I appreciate the fact that you know what the crowd should be and I have a sense of what the crowd should be not to your level but this is what surprised me this is why I brought it up is because in watching the game yesterday I'm telling you it looked like a park of just a scattered few which surprised me that's the reason I brought it up that's why I may have gotten it right that it was 40% of the paid you didn't see it you didn't watch, and yet you'll debate me on this. Because I know I'm right. Well, you can't know you're right. I, I would can ask, know I'm right. Okay, so what 40% was the of 21,000. That would be 8,000 less, more, more than 8,000 less. So we're yeah. talking uh, 8,400 less. So we're talking about a crowd of somewhere in the neighborhood of 13,000 for real. Yeah, go ahead. That's about what it looked like. Say that again. About 13,000. I just want to make sure that you drill it in everyone's head how wrong you are. Okay. <laughs> I know, because you're, I mean... I don't know why you would debate this with me without saying, you know what, I'll take a look at the replay of some of the games you to see check the sun? out the crowd. Did you see the sun it was come hot. up this morning? It was hot yesterday. Did you also. see the sun come up this morning? I did. Really? I didn't, but okay. I know it came up. Okay. Um, let's get to what I wanted to start the show with, which was the John Kime podcast. John Kime covers the Washington Redskins for ESPN and ESPN.com, and he's got a podcast, um, which Bram Weinstein uh, helps him out uh, on. Um, so, uh, he had Lewis Riddick on. Every, I think everybody knows who Lewis Riddick is, but if you don't, I'm going to go ahead and give you his credentials and his resume. I'm not going to read his entire resume, even though I, I, I pretty much could tell you that he's worked for the Redskins in the league, he's worked for the Eagles in the league, he's worked for a lot of teams in the league, but over the last several years, probably five years, uh, he's been working for ESPN yes, as sort of a football analyst and expert. Um, he's very good on television. I've had this conversation with Scott many times. Scott's a big fan of Lewis Riddick, has him on his show all the time. He's very good on television. Um, in my personal opinion, he's not always right. Um, in fact, there, there are many people whose opinion, personally, I actually look forward to hearing more than Lewis Riddick. But Lewis Riddick is very good on TV. Let me ask you and a he's question. A, he's a good interview. Yes. Is his accuracy level... Uh, Equivalent to my attendance? Guess? Yes. 
Uh, no, it's probably better. Okay. I'm sure it's better. You would say it was better. Um, but anyway, um, he was on with Kime, and he was asked about Dwayne Haskins. And he actually had two two sound bites that we're going to play. Um, the first one, he's comparing, or he's talking about Dwayne Haskins and what he thinks of Haskins and his opportunity to play. And then there's a second one where he compares him a bit to RG3. But I want you to hear the first one, um, again, on Dwayne Haskins. And then I want us to talk about what Lewis Riddick says. The fan base around there, that city, <laughs> city, the surrounding areas, they're, they're going to want to see Dwayne play. Yep. They just are. And as much respect as I have for Case Keenum, Case is not Dwayne. They're not in the same zip code. They're just not. When Dwayne throws the football in the preseason, people are going to go, I want more of that. <laughs> I don't care if they don't have wide receivers. I want to see that because that's what will make me come to this stadium and buy these tickets and buy his jersey and buy these hot dogs and buy this beer. Is I want to see that kid play, and that's where the pressure is going to come from. All right. The reason I wanted to play that specific bite, which I listened to early this morning, is because I think there are a couple of things there, including what he ended with, which I think is in the owner's mind. I mean, I think it was in the owner's mind when he drafted him. The, the franchise needed a business, you know, jolt. And I think it's gotten it to a certain degree with the drafting of what, you know, many believe to be a franchise quarterback. But the part that I really wanted to focus on was him comparing Haskins to Case Keenum. All due respect to Case Keenum, Haskins, when you see him throw the football, looks a lot different. Because this is something I've suggested a couple of times on the podcast, with you and without you. And that is that the competitive landscape for the starting job in Washington isn't that great for Dwayne Haskins. It's Case Keenum and Colt McCoy, and maybe not even a healthy Colt McCoy, and maybe not even Colt McCoy at all. It's possible they could cut him or try to trade him before the season starts. Um, And you heard Lewis Riddick say that essentially, you know, Case Keenum, all due respect, but Haskins, when he throws it, that's what people are going to want to see. And so I would say the following thing that I want your reaction to. If he doesn't beat out Case Keenum and he's not the starter on opening day, what does it say about Dwayne Haskins? You know, first of all, uh, when John said that's where the pressure is going to come from the fans – the pressure is going to come from the owner. That's where the real pressure is going to I come from. I agree with you. That was another note I made yeah. that I th- I don't think the fans are going to put the same level of pressure that the owner no. will put on. No. The, the fans will, will probably oh, yeah. prefer them to be patient if patience is what should Especially be when in you, play. S- you see the first five games of that Redskins schedule. You, you, a, a smart fan would say you're throwing this kid to the Wolves. Open up on the road against the Eagles in Philadelphia. Um. What was the question again? My question is, if Haskins doesn't beat out Case Keenum in training camp and Colt McCoy, what does it say about Haskins? I have an answer to it, but I want your answer okay, first because I've given my answer on this podcast It's complicated before. because you can, you can pick Case Keenum while still think the future of your team is Dwayne Haskins. So you, Haskins could, can be everything that you expect him to be and you can still pick Case Keenum to start the season. If you play a whole season without Dwayne Haskins behind center, uh, then I think that speaks more volumes. But initially, it's a convoluted answer that you can't really give a definitive answer to. 
I actually think the point you made is even a better one that I would have made. I think it's it's much better put that it's not about starting the opener; it's about playing at some point. Yeah. You know, especially if you give the context that they are struggling offensively and Case Keenum isn't that great or Colt McCoy's not that great and Haskins still isn't in there. That would be much more telling than him not starting the opener. With that said, um, more likely than not, Kyler Murray's going to start the opener for Arizona. Um, you know, it's very possible. I mean, last year we we know that, you know, it wasn't long before Baker Mayfield was in there. Sam Darnold started day one. Josh Allen started day one. Josh Rosen was in there very quickly. And then eventually, because of injury, Lamar Jackson was in there. I don't think Jackson would have played had Flacco not gotten hurt. And, and certainly for the Ravens, it was probably a good thing that Flacco did get hurt because yes. Jackson turned that season around. The year before that, Trubisky played significantly. Obviously, Mahomes sat. But Deshaun Watson started um, from day one. The year before that, Wentz and Goff all started, you know, day one. Winston and Mariota started essentially day one the year before that. So more times than not, rookie quarterbacks taken in the first round are getting the opportunity to play immediately. What I've suggested since the draft is that, you know, you don't have a great quarterback sitting there in front of him like a, a, an established starter, let alone a Brett Favre situation, Aaron Rodgers situation where you have a Hall of Famer. Or in the Mahomes situation, you had a legitimate NFL starter in Alex Smith. You don't have anybody sitting there in front of Haskins that you say, well, yeah, I mean, you can be patient with Haskins because you have this guy. Not only don't you have the guy, you don't have a guy in Case Keenum that's played here. This is a new experience for him here. So what I had said before is if he's not the starter, if we don't realize during training camp that he's the starter and it's obvious to the coaching staff that he's the best they have and therefore they're going to let him start the season and start the Dwayne Haskins era right away, which by the way, I would recommend if the competition is even close. If that doesn't happen, then what it says is this is a much longer term play which I'm not suggesting that that's a bad thing if you're patient. You know, he only started one year in college. But I think if he's all that, if he's all of what Lewis Riddick thinks he is and other people think he is, then he should beat out Case Keenum and Colt McCoy and start the opener in Philadelphia. You know, I think you're really underestimating the experience of Case Keenum. I mean, I think you're selling him short. And this guy took a team to the Super Bowl uh, two years ago. Uh, I think that he is head and tails before he even takes the field ahead of Dwayne Haskins in almost probably every single category. Except throwing the football. Except well, apparently. How it looks to throw except, the football. Except throwing the football mm -hmm. against uh, nobody defending, you know, more or less. So uh, I think that uh, – I think in all those quarterbacks that you mentioned, those rookie quarterbacks, as part of that equation, you'd have to look to see what their choices were besides those rookie quarterbacks. And do you think any of them were better than Case Keenum? Uh, and you know that would require some time. That would have to be part of the consideration. Well, I, I would suggest that most of the situations were some veteran, you know, that resembles a Case Keenum. You're right. 
I am selling Case Keenum short. I'm not a huge Case Keenum fan. I think he's fine. I think he is, you know, if you don't have a legitimate top half of the league NFL starter, you could do a lot worse than Case Keenum. But he's somewhere between 22 and 32 among the starters. Okay, let me ask you this. Yeah. If you're Jay Gruden, you're in the last year of your contract, Mm -hmm. okay, and you're going up to Philadelphia to open the season, who do you think has a better chance of winning that game? Again, I, I, I know where your answer is headed. And what I'm suggesting to you is if it's a real obvious that they've got a better chance that to game. win the game yes. with Case Keenum, then Haskins is more of a longer-term developmental guy. That they still have hopes that he's going to be the franchise quarterback, but that he's not anywhere near ready. Because if he's anywhere near ready, there's going to be pressure from the owner, Absolutely. for sure. Maybe even there's the possibility that is that if he isn't ready or anywhere close to ready, there's going to be pressure yes. from the owner. But if he's close and they're seeing, you know, already Shanahan, uh, Serato, not that we should take Vinny's word for it, <laughs> um, Cooley and others have all said. Jay's going to know pretty much by the first week, the end of the first week of training camp, if Dwayne Haskins is ready to play in the NFL. And all I'm saying is, ready to play in the NFL, if if the answer is yes, there's not a whole hell of, uh, there's not a, a, a significant competitive threat in front of him. Case Keenum's a starter in the NFL, a low-level starter in the NFL, in my opinion. Doesn't right? that put him ahead of any rookie quarterback coming out of college? Who Case Keenum? Yeah, doesn't doesn't that level of experience put that guy ahead of any quarterback coming out of college? So even if it, it even if the answer is yes, if you deem Case Keenum to be a low level NFL starter, who is let's just say ahead or slightly ahead of any first round quarterback that you draft, if you're a team like the Redskins, what are you waiting for? If Haskins is close, if he's close to Keenum. Let's just say Keenum's marginally, slightly better. All right, what would you wait okay, for? Okay, I agree. I agree Why with that. Why would you wait? Wait, just start the process now. There are a lot of reasons to start the process now, but you're not, this is a team right now on paper that looks more like a double-digit loss team than a double-digit win team. Yes. I would start that process right away with Except, Haskins. here's the other part of it that I, I think that you have to take in consideration. Do you want to put the kid in the best chance to succeed uh, in his first year and playing him in those first five games does that meet that goal I mean you know or do you start him in my against Miami in week six is that the best chance for him to succeed in his first you want him to have success don't you you don't want him, you don't want people ready to peel off their Dwayne Haskins jerseys after the fifth game of the season I if it's close I want him to start week one but again, if it, if, if it doesn't matter, if it's if not it doesn't close, matter. if it's not close, then what I would suggest to you is it's not close, and that means he's got a long way to go because he wasn't even close to Case Keenum or Colt McCoy. It would be one thing if he walked in and Brady was the starter, or Rodgers was the starter, or you know Dak Prescott was the starter, or you know to take a mid-level starter. Um, but if he's not close to Keenum or to uh, to Colt McCoy, then I think the answer is we're a, we're a long way off. I think your your answer is a better one in that if he doesn't play at all, 
during the 2018 season, during the 2019 season, and the 2019 season isn't a successful season, that speaks volumes. That would speak volumes. I agree with you on that. Okay. What if Ryan Fitzpatrick were here? Ryan Fitzpatrick's better than Case Keenum. How far has has he taken a team in in, in the NFL? Uh, uh, He hasn't taken him anywhere near where Case Keenum took an incredible all-around football team in Minnesota in 2018, uh, 2017. A team that was one of the best defenses that wasn't one of the best defenses last year. A team with a healthy offensive line and a first-rate O-line coach. And last year you had one of the worst offensive lines and worst offensive line situations in the NFL. Vikings, Giants, 1-2. Put them in whatever order you want. Two worst offensive line situations in the NFL. Keenum didn't face that in 2017. I think you're really underselling Ryan Keenum. Fitzpatrick's a better quarterback and, than and let's Keenum. And let's say it doesn't matter in those first five games. Again, Eagles on the road. Yeah. Cowboys at home. Bears at home. Giants on the road. The Giants are not in the murderer's row. Why not? What what if you start them at New York? And and then the Patriots at home. Okay. If you know as a coach that you've pretty much got no chance to win four of those five games, you really don't. You can't think that way. But what if you You cannot think that way? What if there's a voice in your head? I I don't like this, the, the schedule part of this argument. What if Jay knows in his head that there's very little chance, no matter who plays quarterback, for them to win those games? If you if you know that, why throw him out in that situation? Jay will not look at the first five games of this schedule and think that he's got no chance to win. You know, more than one game. He's got Dallas and Chicago at home in weeks two and three. He's got Philly on the road, which, by the way, we still don't know what you know. Although Lewis Riddick, by the way, put out a tweet yesterday predicting Carson Wentz would be the MVP. And and look at Um, uh, people are predicting the Eagles go to the Super Bowl. Okay, so I uh, what I'm saying to you is this: the schedule wouldn't even enter the conversation because you know how I feel about the NFL schedule to begin with. It's impossible to predict who's going to be good and when before season starts. Can we look at their schedule and pretty much guess that New England's going to be pretty damn good on October 6th? More likely than not, yes. We can predict that. Other than that, there's nothing you can predict. If Haskins is close, if it's a, a if it's a competition, like a legitimate competition, and Jay Gruden in that first week, along with Matt Cavanaugh and Kevin O'Connell, say, this dude's picking it up quickly, he's comfortable, and he so much gives us a much better chance physically, too. This is this is a very close competition. He is starting the opener for oh. me. I think he's starting the opener no matter what. Because of Snyder. Yeah. That's... Un- unless Snyder wants to take the soft route and get through that first five games and start him in game six. Uh, again. But I think Snyder makes this call no matter what. I mean, among those first five games, you have the Cowboys and the Bears and the Giants in the middle three with two of them at home. Kevin. If you, you, go, in, if you go into those games thinking you don't have a chance to win those games – well then, you let's just say it right now. Then they believe they are a ten-loss team. Well, this you year. believe they're a double-digit loss team. Then what are what are the games they're going to lose? But I, I'm not if su- they're going to lose double-digit, I'm not, not double suggesting that they think that way. But you think they are. I do. So what games do you think they're going to lose if they're not going to lose the Dallas, Philadelphia? Okay. And Chicago. Again, we do this every year. The, you know, Even if we get the record prediction right, it's usually not the right wins and losses that are predicted. Okay. It's true, though. It's, I mean, th- th- that's th- just a they're fact. They're going to be putting him in a meat grinder. That's fine. I mean, I don't care particularly one way or the other. I think you're right. If it's close, 
I think uh, you know they'll make the call, but I don't, I'm not even sure if it's close that that the, that the call won't be made to start him. I think the big mistake would be is if he's not anywhere near ready, but the owner forces it anyway. That's a recipe for disaster. I think if it is close and Gruden and O'Connell and Kavanaugh and the locker room knows it's close, they should start him day one because Case Keenum is what? What is he? Where does that path lead? doesn't lead anywhere and you might as well get the Dwayne Haskins career as there's I would be super excited as a fan if after the first week of training camp I hear from Jay Gruden Dwayne has picked it up quickly he looks really sharp this is a really good competition can't wait to see how these guys play in the preseason games if you hear that to me, we're on the path to what should be Haskins starting week one, and I think that's a better situation for the franchise. Let me give if you the scenario for him to start. I, I want you to listen to this closely. Okay, try to try to concentrate on this one. Let's say this is like last year. Let's say they have a tremendous defense. Let's a really good defense that keeps them in games. Well, they didn't have a tremendous defense. They had last a good year. defense early in the season. Early in the season. Okay, so let's say that's how it starts out again. They have a good strong defense early in the season. And then all you're hoping for is a quarterback who won't turn the ball over, who can caretake the ball like Alex Smith did and not make mistakes. Which quarterback is that? The rookie or the veteran? I again, I, which which one? Well, well the, the, it would probably be the veteran. Well, there. Although, they're, they're, although why, how many why how could, many turnovers did would, Case Keenum have last why year? Why would the formula then with a really good defense for 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 wins? Well, because early I would, in the season, because I'd point to Denver and I'd say Case Keenum had one of the better defenses in the NFL last year and went six and ten. I, I don't. I don't six have, and ten. Isn't that what Denver went last well, year? Well, that 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 sounds like a red a good Redskins season to me. <laughs> well, they went seven and nine last year. I know that, and the and the year before. So it would be, you know, it's all I'm saying to you is that Case Keenum it just if the formula I, for winning is good defense and low turnovers, mm-hmm. you don't play the rookie. Yeah, well, that was the formula in Denver last year, and they didn't win with that. You know, that's that would be my only point. Case Keenum, he's just not Case Keenum last year. 18 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, took 34 sacks on the season. You know, with a, a really good defense, and by the way, one of the best young running backs in the game last year. I, I I understand he had a very good year in 2017, and I do like aspects of Keenum. I love. You're not he's listening a, to me. I am listening no, to you. I gave you the answer. No, you're not listening to me. There, the the it, it, the success for winning when you have but it a wasn't defense in Denver like for the Case Redskins, Keenum. but it was here in Washington last year. Well, it was gonna be the record was on the verge of becoming six and four with that. Alex Smith, and probably would have ended somewhere around eight and eight. In my okay, view. I understand that. I agree with all that. But they started the season six and three. That's right. With that formula, mm-hmm. okay, turnovers would have killed them. Let me ask you a question in answer to your question. I'd rather you didn't, but go ahead. Let's just say that they deem that Case Keenum, low turnover Case Keenum, which he wasn't last year in Denver with a great defense, but let's just say they believe Case Keenum can protect the ball and that they've got a big-time defense, and with Darius Geis, they feel like they can run the ball and win the way they won six games last year to start the season, you know, in the first uh, nine. 
let's just say that they think that that'll work. And let's just say they go 9-7, and seven, make the wild card. What do you do in 2020? And if you're Jay Gruden, you got a contract extension. That's what you do. What do you do with the quarterback that just protected the ball, managed games, and got you into the playoffs with that great defense and running game? They have no problem saying goodbye to veteran quarterbacks who are good. They, <laughs> they've done it before. Uh, he's not under contract. Right. So you're going to just say, good riddance, we're, well, what br- the we're bringing did? our version of Patrick Mahomes in? What, what did the Chiefs do? Okay. There you go. The it's, Ch- that's easy. The Kansas City model? Yes. With air quotes around that? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's easy. Okay. Uh, I, you, there you have there you have uh, a Dwayne Haskins who hasn't failed yet. People will be eager to see that guy. I think that um, if it's close, that Dwayne Haskins will start and should start the opener. And I wouldn't wait him. I wouldn't wait out the first five games of the schedule, fearing the schedule. If it's close, meaning Keenum and McCoy are just slightly better than him, or it's dead even, Haskins is the starter. I predict. And should be the starter, in my opinion, as a fan of the team. I would, I would want to see him right from the get-go because my personal feeling is that Case Keenum and 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 Colt McCoy aren't. I want to see the guy that has the upside from the jump, not to see the the, the two guys that I've already seen what their upsides are. It, that's a matter of opinion. I'm just not fans of either one of them leading you to a Super Bowl. Right. Even though Case Keenum was in an NFC title game where they could not score at Philadelphia and they got run out of the building. And the one game that their defense played poorly. Yeah. Really. I mean, if you look at that 2017 season, their defense was so dominant. And then in the one game that it wasn't, they got run out of the building because Keenum w- couldn't keep up with what Philadelphia did. Well, I'm sure NFC the rookie will game. keep up with the Eagles in week one. I don't, you know, here's the thing. We have no idea. We know that Sam Darnold played pretty damn well. Baker Mayfield played pretty damn well last year. We've had some rookie quarterbacks, and I, I had the guy on from the Action Network two weeks ago who essentially said that th- that more times than not, if the rookie doesn't start and start quickly, that it is more, it, it ends up being a long-term harbinger of this he just wasn't good enough especially in these situations where you're not backing up a longtime starter or in the case of Aaron Rodgers a Hall of Fame starter that you get them out there and that the year one results when they start from day one don't differ that much from their year two results this guy made the case and I and, and it's funny because we had him on about a week after I, I had made the comment that that Kansas City probably would have done better had they started Patrick Mahomes in that first year. That I know that he's given Alex Smith all this credit for being a great mentor, but after watching Mahomes last year, do you really feel like his results would have been that much different if he had started as a rookie? I don't. I do. Well, this guy had lots of information backing up the fact that more likely than not, Mahomes and, would have had similar he, results, and again, that Kansas City wasted a year of a of a Super Bowl window. You know, I, I I guess sometimes people get caught up in the idea that this is an NFL franchise, and <laughs> I have to you have to consider that we're talking about the Redskins, mm-hmm. and the rules don't apply for the Redskins. There are outside forces at work that are self destructive, and that that you can't predict that could come into play. So whatever blueprint there is for success around the league, 
you might as well burn it here in Washington. You know, the, my only disappointment about those last 20 seconds of what you said is you didn't give your typical Surgeon General's warning <laughs> before you did it because that's required, I think. Yes, every time, I'm sorry. Every time you're going to speak about the team, especially if you're going to say something positive, you have to give the Surgeon General's warning yes. that you always give. Um, the, Tommy, last year, Case Keenum in Denver wasn't very good. He was not very good on a team that actually had some talent. I know they had some injuries on both sides of the ball. Um, but What kind of Phil- offensive talent did Phil- they have besides the well, running Phil- back? Philip Lindsay was a star. Besides the running back. Um, last year, uh, they 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 struggled. They, they had Sanders at wide receiver. They had the kid from SMU, Aaron Wright, Cortland, Cortland Sutton. Sutton yeah. um, they had, uh, who was their tight end last year? Yeah, that, that was a big problem there last year. So um, they had the a, kid from Penn State, who I actually like a lot. He didn't have a lot uh, of weapons. Hamilton. Not not the kind of weapons nope. he has here in Washington, at nope. least. And not the kind of weapons he had in Minnesota the I'm year just, before. I'm pointing out. I understand. They don't have many weapons, which, by the way, would be maybe the best argument for holding off at the beginning with Dwayne Haskins. Let's just say that, that Jay Gruden likes him, thinks that there's a lot of promise and is excited about him but understands how limited they are and needs a veteran quarterback that can create a little bit more, which, by the way, would be Colt or Case before Haskins. Because Haskins is not an extend-the-play quarterback. Keenum and Colt McCoy are much better playmakers on a team that may not have anybody that can get open. Maybe. Um, Is that what Jay would think? I don't know what Jay would think. I think Jay. I don't think it matters think what gonna, Jay would think. I think Jay is going to be interested in figuring out a way to win nine or ten games and make the postseason yeah, this year. I do. And at the same time, he's going to understand that there's going to be pressure from the top to play Haskins if it's close. And if it's close, you know, he may be better off. Cooley made this point, and I think it was a really good one. If Jay wants to to coach here, and I don't even know if that's his dream anymore to have a long-term coaching career here. Take that for whatever you think it's worth. I don't know that Jay loses sleep about losing a job here. All right, I don't. But if he were interested in being the long-term head coach here, then it's in his best interest to start Haskins and develop Haskins. And at the end of 2019, we all see, wow, look at Haskins. He's really starting to get there because then no one's going to want to give Haskins a new head coach and a new staff. You're right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, Cooley made that point, and I think it's a really good one. But I I would also just, for, for the purposes of emphasis, I will tell you that I think Jay just approaches each day like, hey, let's figure out what we're going to do today <laughs> and figure out the best way to win today. And if it doesn't work out for him here beyond 2019, I don't think that Jay's going to lose a ton of sleep over it. Probably just my personal not. opinion. Okay. Um, here was the other uh, bite from Lewis Riddick on John Kimes' podcast. Um, it was uh, about comparing him to the last – you know, first-round quarterback that the Redskins took in 2012, RG3. I think what's, what's going to happen here is the hope is going to change the expectation quickly because, look, I, 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 I need to say this the right way, but there's really only one way to say it. Dwayne Haskins is twice the thrower of Robert Griffin. Okay? Yeah. He's twice the quarterback of Robert. Robert Griffin was never a good pocket quarterback. He was never the guy who on third down, when he, if you could – on first and second down, when Kyle and Mike 
the Shanahan's were able to really utilize play action and be more creative, and there was a lot more doubt as to what they were going to try and do offensively to a defense, and defenses really didn't know what was coming. Robert was spectacular. Yep. Spectacular. When it came to third down, and you're sitting in the pocket, and you don't have the benefit of play action, and it's third and six, third and seven plus, and people can start, then they know, okay, now we got you boxed in. Now we can start doing some things to you. He folded like a lawn chair. Yep. That's not was not his was his forte. He didn't have the football intellect of of, of Dwayne Haskins. Okay, so um, a couple of things there. First of all, I, I know what he's saying. Um, when he started off by saying he's twice the thrower, um, you had to sort of wait to get to the end of it there to 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 sort of understand what he was saying because Robert Griffin had a gun for an arm, still does. Um, he can make every single throw on the football field. That's never been doubted about Griffin. And Haskins has a big-time gun as well and can make every throw. He's 100% right about Griffin. It was the biggest, you know, what Mike and Kyle and all of them knew, Matt LaFleur, they all knew it from day one, that the biggest developmental part of Griffin, and it was going to take a while, was to teach him how to throw from the pocket when everybody knows he had to throw from the pocket on third down plus. That's why in that 2012 year, Trent Dilfer told us it's the greatest first and second down offense he's ever seen in the history of the NFL, Um, but it was not a good third down offense. Um, The Redskins struggled on third down because Griffin just could not, he, he didn't, he didn't have what Mike has always told me. Steve Young told us once that you have to have the natural ability to throw with anticipation. And he doesn't have that. He still doesn't have that. As far as we know, we, we haven't seen him in recent years play, obviously. Um, and But Cooley pointed out, as it relates to Haskins, that that's not something that Haskins has proved yet. You know, that there was a lot of yak at Ohio State last year. A lot of horizontal passing at Ohio State with arguably the best weapons in the country, um, speed-wise, skill-wise, talent-wise, at wide receiver, running back, etc. So this is something that he'll have to prove. I, my personal opinion after watching a lot of Dwayne Haskins last year is that he is better than Robert Griffin III in the pocket. I would agree with that. You know, in that he will be more comfortable as a pocket passer, in part because he's never had the other part that Griffin had to rely on. Griffin could always bail himself out with his legs. And in the offenses that they ran, it was designed at times for him to advance the football with his legs, not with Dwayne Haskins. So Haskins has been put into the position of, of having to do what he can do because he's not you know, a 4-3 right. you know, track guy. Um, but I do feel better about Haskins as a pocket passer. But, you know, it was one of the things that I felt in watching him last year, especially against some of the really good defensive teams that they faced. When they got after him, it wasn't pretty. Um, but he's early in his development. You know, he only started one year, and now he's going to be in a pro offense, and we'll see how it works. I mean, it doesn't mean that two, three years from now he isn't going to be excellent at doing that. I agree with all that. I agree. Um, all right, a uh, hundred days from today will mark the beginning of the 100th NFL season. We're a hundred days away. Actually, I think we're two months exactly away from the start of training camp. So we're a hundred days away, I guess, from the beginning of the regular season. And I asked you this, and you may not have an answer because you didn't, you don't always do the research or try to get ready for the show. When I give you information before the show, you just sort of wing it. You know what? So if you what? You don't pay me for show prep. <laughs> 
that's definitely that's a hundred percent true. Okay. All right, I, I there's no doubt. I do not pay you for for show prep. No. Um, but I asked the following question: Is there anything about the upcoming NFL season? First, I said, why don't we have a hundred predictions? But that would have been you know five podcasts, so we're not going to do that. But is there anything that you're a hundred percent certain about when the about this upcoming NFL season? Well, like we both concluded uh, in in a moment of intelligence for you, uh, and my normal uh, you know thought pattern is that that you can't predict anything. No, in can't. the NFL, I mean, like you are right when you've said year after year. There are teams that made the playoffs last year that won't make the playoffs this year, and there are teams that didn't make the playoffs last year that will make the playoffs this year. Uh, so this seems kind of futile to say what we're absolutely sure about. Uh, what we're pretty sure about or what we strongly think will happen is different than 100%. What, I mean, do, we, even, what do we uh, feel the most confident about, about the upcoming NFL season? I, there's one answer that every NFL fan would give you, that the Patriots are going to make the postseason. Patriots will win the division. Yeah, that the well, Patriots I, I think, are going to win the division and be in the postseason. Yeah, that would. That would. But 1A would be the Chiefs. What, for you, 1A is the Chiefs? Yeah. They lost no Tyreek Hill, no I know. Kareem Hunt. I know. You know, they it could be one of those 12-4 and four to 6-10 and 10 and out of the playoff teams. Could I, be. Don't, I don't think so. So I that's think what Chiefs, you're most confident yeah, about, that the Chiefs, the Chiefs will make Chiefs the postseason. And, and, and Patrick Mahomes is going to be, if he's not already, a, I mean, the big, one of the biggest stars in sports, period. This is my thing that I am 100% certain about, barring injury. And I'm surprised that you didn't mention this because you already have mentioned it on the show today. There's no chance that Dwayne Haskins doesn't start at least one game for the Redskins this year. <laughs> There's no chance. He is going to start at least one, but I'll go beyond that. He's going to start at least five games for the Redskins. Personally, I think he's going to I'm I'm confident that he's going to start at least 12, but 100% certain that he starts at least five games this year. I I cannot envision even your which wasn't unreasonable. You know, good defense, running game, play Case Keenum, don't turn the ball over like Alex Smith last year, and you win nine and he starts all 16. I do not see that happening. There is no way that Dan Snyder is going to wait a full year and a half from the April 2019 draft until he sees Dwayne Haskins play. You're right. And a bunch. You're right. That is 100%. That is 100%. Yes. Um, the other thing that um, I will say to you that I'm really, really confident about, not 100% confident, but that was part of the 100 days from the 100th NFL season thing. Um, I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be – among the most improved teams in the NFL, and they're going to win. They only won five last year. They're going to win more than five games this year. <clears throat> they are going to win, they're going to have a chance. They're going to be in the hunt in the AFC South to win that division and make the postseason. There are a couple of teams I feel um, that, that way about in terms of the turnaround teams, but I'm most confident about Jacksonville. I feel similarly about Denver. Um, making a run in this uh, in this upcoming season, 
And I feel like they're, you know, I think the Giants are going to be better than people think. I think Pittsburgh's going to be better than people think they're going to be. But Jacksonville will win more than they won last year. They're, they're going to be a an eight-win or better team. Well, with Nick Foles as with the quarterback. With Nick Foles as the quarterback and with that defense that, that's still great, even though... You know, they lost Tevin Smith, who's going to sit out the year, which was a, a surprising development. Apparently, he's got some issues. Um, do you have any others? No, I don't think 100 days in advance. You really, well, yeah, you just, I mean, you're just comfortable I, you know, you're going to be here in 100 days. Right, exactly. Yeah. Hope you are. Um, <laughs> did you have a nice weekend? I had a good weekend. It was a busy weekend. We worked all three days. I was on the radio Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And Sunday, after I got off the radio... I took a train up to Philly uh, to uh, a barbecue with my with my in-laws up there. And, uh, yeah, it was a good weekend. The, the, I mean, yesterday was a beautiful – the weather was beautiful. The relatives that, that you couldn't watch the Redskins Thanksgiving yeah. Day game with yeah. that you decided to pass on. Yeah. Right. But yeah. it's fine on Memorial Day weekend. Well, I just sat in the corner of, of the yard, uh, ate my burger, drank my Brooklyn lagers, Smoke my cigar to create a perimeter to keep people away. <laughs> <laughs> to keep to create the perimeter, the cigars, and b- basically your general attitude yes. was the perimeter yes. that kept everybody uh, away. Yeah. Um, all right. Quick word about Window Nation. All right. Window Nation uh, is ready to kick off the summer with a huge savings opportunity for you. Buy one get one free. Window Nation's absolute best offer is back only until May 31st. So you've only got a few more days on this one. Buy one window, get the second free. Buy two, get two free. Buy four, get four free. There's no limit. Plus, you'll get 0% interest for five full years. There's even more to this deal. If you call today... You get that free in-home quote, and again, there's no risk. You can call Harley, Aaron, Eric, any of them there, mention my name. You'll get a free in-home quote. If you do that today, you'll get a pair of tickets to Hershey Park while supplies last. Window Nation will come out to your home within 24 hours. By the way, they'll come out seven days a week whenever it's convenient for you. They'll provide you with exact pricing, not just an estimate. They're backed by Window Nation's A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. You're guaranteed the best value, or they'll pay you $250. But you've got to act fast. Window Nation's sizzling savings ends May 31st. Call today. Buy one window, get one free. There is no limit. Plus, get 0% interest for five full years, plus bonus tickets to Hershey Park. Call today, 866-90-NATION, or go to windownation.com. All right, uh, I wanted to talk about the NBA playoffs. The finals, Tommy, are set. Um, Had to be a disappointment, disappointing outcome for you because you were count, you seemed to be counting on Milwaukee, weren't you? Yeah, I picked Milwaukee before the series started, yeah. but I picked Toronto before the playoffs started. Oh, I wish okay. I had had the balls to stick with that um, because I was definitely rooting against what my pick was. It doesn't always happen that way. You would never do that. But I really wanted, and I made it very clear during this postseason – I really did want Toronto to get to the finals. I'm a huge Kawhi Leonard fan, and what he did Saturday night once again is a continuation of one of the great playoff runs of all time, which I'll get to in a moment with some of the numbers. Um, but the game on Saturday night was crazy. First of all, I, Aaron, did, did you either one of you watch this game live? No. Not live. No. I have never 
I, I'm sure it's happened, and I'm sure the old days of the Boston Garden, and I'm sure some of the environments in Indiana, you know, I can remember in Madison Square Garden, uh, have been great. I do not remember a more raucous, loud college atmosphere like the one that existed Saturday night in Toronto. At the tip, it was Marv Albert on the call with. Um, Reggie Miller and Chris Webber, I think, yeah. w- and and I think it was Reggie Miller said as they walked out for the tip, he's like, "My God, <laughs> I cannot remember feeling this way, the you know, before in an environment like this before the opening tip, and it was that way throughout, but it was especially that way during Toronto's twenty-two to two run from late third quarter through the early fourth quarter, where the building was." As the young people say, Tommy, lit. <laughs> it was unbelievable. They were down by 15, 76 to 61. And all throughout that game, I'm like, man, Milwaukee's making shots. And they were. They were making shots. And I think it was Scott pointed out on Friday, not that this is you know a new thing, but it, it really is in so many ways the NBA. It's like all, all these teams are so loaded with talent. It's a make shot, miss shot kind of situation a lot of the times. And Milwaukee was making shots, and they were up 15. And then towards the end of the third quarter, they're up 15 with two minutes to go in the third quarter. And Kawhi Leonard basically scored eight of the final 10 points of the quarter, assisted on the other, had three rebounds, and they went into the fourth quarter down five, 76-71. That was the game right there. He kept him in the game. And then he sat the first part of the fourth quarter, and they took the lead without him on the floor. And it was, I mean, that place was nuts. I mean, they did what they've done when they've needed other players to step up during this postseason. It happened against the Sixers. It happened against the Bucks. Guys like Van Vliet, who's been phenomenal over the last, you know, four or five games. Abaka was great. Um, Norman Powell was outstanding. Lowry played great. I was really happy for him to see him get to the finals. And at the same time, while all of this was going on, Giannis was a mess. He was a mess. He airballed a floater from four feet. And after airballing that shot, he looked scared. I mean, he passed on open shot after open shot. He was confused. He was frustrated. And Toronto won that game, you know, and Kawhi came back in and was phenomenal. Ended up with 27 points, a career high, 17 rebounds in any game, regular season or postseason, after the game before setting a career high in in assists in game five. Kawhi's run, Tommy, but Giannis, real quickly on him, he's going to have to figure it out. I mean, this is the NBA. It seems like this is why I like Toronto before the postseason because I just thought Milwaukee hadn't paid their dues. They hadn't learned how to win in the playoffs, which is the opposite of the regular season. Kawhi's run, listen to some of this stuff. He's currently averaging 31.2 points per game. Um, It's second in these playoffs behind Durant, who obviously hasn't played for six games. Um, But he's got 561 points, 100 more than the next closest player in this postseason, only because Durant's missed, obviously, the last six games. 
Um, he's shooting 50% from the floor, forty nearly 40%, it's like 39.6% from three, and 89.5% from the free throw line. He's barely missing the 50-40-90 club. Right. 50% from the floor, 40% from behind the arc, and 90% plus from the free throw line. He is now one of six players in NBA history to average 31 points in one postseason with at least 17 games played. Here are the other five. Jerry West, Michael Jordan, Hakeem Olajuwon, LeBron James, and Allen Iverson. He's in that group. He scored 30 or more in 11 of the 18 games he's played in this postseason. The only players in the history of the NBA playoffs to do that before the finals are Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon. And Olajuwon's run in 94 and 95, was a, that, that was an amazing run. In fact, after the game, uh, Shaq and, and Ernie and Barkley and Kenny Smith, they were, the three players were gushing over Kawhi's performance. And by the way, they talked a lot about how what's great about watching this is he's, a, as, as Barkley called him, or maybe it was Shaq, he's a drama-free superstar. Yes. And there just aren't many of them yeah. in sports. And, you know, uh, Kenny Smith said to Shaq and Barkley, do you think it's as good as the Dreams run for those two years when they won the title? And Barkley said it's, it's equal to that. It's equal to that. But only MJ, Elijah Wan, and now Kawhi Leonard have scored 30 or more in 11 of the eight, of 18 playoff games. Um, he's got seven games, Tommy, of 35-plus. Only six players in NBA history have done that. Elgin Baylor, LeBron James, Elijah Wan, Jordan, and one other one that I think you'll get if I give you one clue. Bernard right. King. You got it. Yeah. I knew you would get that. I remember that run. Bernard was unbelievable during yes. that run. Um, so he is by, you know, appearance and by numbers, he is having one of the all time great postseason runs defensively though, is where he starts to separate himself from some of these guys, not necessarily Mike, but he separates himself from some of the other guys. He's averaging nearly, he's averaging 1.8 steals per game, but that's not where you'll judge him defensively on this postseason run. you got to look at what he did against Giannis, and they did switch a lot of screens. But Giannis against Kawhi averaged 15.1 points per 100 possessions on average, where against everybody else um, during the regular season and the postseason, he was at 30 points plus. That's half. Half. And in some cases... Like he against Al Horford, he averaged forty point six points per hundred uh, per hundred possessions against Al Horford. Um, but it's been so much fun to a friend of mine who's not into the NBA that much texted me. He said this is as much fun as I've had watching the NBA in years. And I don't know that people the the first couple the first round no one was paying attention. No. I don't even know if many people were paying attention in the second round except for that Golden State Houston series. But Kawhi's run and Toronto's run has been spectacular to watch. And the question is, can he do it against Golden State? Now they are. Um, did you the, the point spread uh, the, the series price? Excuse me. Um, in, uh, in this series, hold on. I had it earlier. I think it's minus 300. Um, it's okay. The Warriors right now on my site are minus 280. I saw minus 300 yesterday. They're minus 280. They would have been about minus 125, minus 130 against the Bucks. Now, I don't know, 
you know, the Bucks, if they had won that series in five, it, that's what the price would have been. That's what people were talking about then. But clearly, Vegas thinks the Bucks would have been a better matchup for Golden State yeah. than Toronto. I don't know how you can think that after watching this last series. I, I like Golden State to win the series. I'm hoping that Toronto can really make it a series. The way they make this a, a series is by getting great play from the supporting cast, you know, and and which he, which uh, Kawhi Leonard's gotten here in recent games. So who guards Leonard? Um, well, it's probably Iguodala. Uh-huh. You know, I, I would think that that's who they're they're going to use on him. And and Andre Iguodala is a really good defender, yeah. a very good defender. Um, it would have been really interesting if Durant were ready. Right now, he's been ruled out of game one. I don't know if he's going to make any of these games. Um, but to see Leonard on Durant and potentially Durant on Leonard. Yes. You know, because Durant's a good defender. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I'll have more on this. I think Legler's going to join us either tomorrow or on Thursday, um, the day that the NBA Finals uh, start. And we'll have a couple of other people on to discuss. But. This has been so much fun to watch a guy who is has zero. One other quick comment about Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I was going there anyway. At the end of the game, he was asked about the you know being down fifteen and making that run. He basically scored or assisted on the first ten to get him to within striking range, and then sat the, on the bench for the first three and a half four minutes of the fourth quarter when they took the lead. And the only thing he pointed to was his teammates in the start of the fourth quarter. He's like, "My team, the team played so well at the beginning of the fourth quarter. They took the lead. That was a huge moment." You don't get that no. from a lot of these stars. No, they they would have pointed to you know. They would have said, "Well, you know, I, I, I got us on a run there at the end of the third quarter." It, it wouldn't. It was a totally selfless statement. I just love the guy, and I love the, the game. And there was one thing that came out, um, by the way, uh, on Kawhi Leonard over the weekend. It came from his uncle, who's also, I believe, his um, business manager, Dennis Robertson, and he told Yahoo Sports. He commented on what happened in San Antonio, and he said, "Quote." I think it just became a lack of trust. They didn't believe Kawhi couldn't play, and that caused a lack of trust in us and then us not believing in them. Anytime a player says he's not capable of playing, you should believe him. Why would Kawhi just stop playing all of a sudden? He's a competitor. Sometimes you get these team doctors telling you what you can and cannot do, and Kawhi was just in too much pain to get out there. This was a serious issue. They didn't believe him, and after that, the relationship couldn't recover, and we decided we had to move on, closed quote. That whole San Antonio thing is interesting, and the, the, the guys on TNT were talking about this to a certain extent, too, and I think I saw Stephen A. and Max Kellerman talking about it yesterday um, on Memorial Day. You know, Popovich hasn't made a lot of mistakes as a coach and as, as the spokesperson and right. the head of that organization. R.C. Buford is a very good general manager. But there is no doubt that, that they, for whatever reason, they thought Kawhi Leonard could be out there, and he wasn't. And that started a big to-do. And in hindsight, right now, to me, the Spurs look bad. Oh, yeah. They look bad. A for- huge mistake. I mean, they, they had Tim Duncan, too, in their own way. And, and they and they drove them out of town. I don't know that they would have beaten the Warriors to get to the NBA Finals. Obviously, he's, he's in a better position being in the East with no LeBron. Um, but they clearly would have been at least still playing last week. Yes. More likely than not. 
um, against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Anyway, uh, more on the NBA Finals leading up to it. My my first gut is Golden State wins this, but you know the one thing if you're if you're if you want Toronto to win, you got to get a great effort from from the supporting cast, like consistent effort. Lowry's got to play well. Van Vliet's got to continue to do what he's been doing. Abaka has to be able to do what he's been doing. Um, Powell, uh, Siakam, all of them. But the other thing is, is just to watch what Toronto and if Toronto can rough Golden State up a little bit. Curry in particular, because Houston did that to him in that series. And I'm wondering if, if Toronto has the ability to do the same thing and maybe wear them out a little bit. The other thing too, is, you know, Toronto has home court advantage. I know they had a better regular season record. So this series, and I'm glad that it opens in Toronto because it would have, for the Toronto fan base, if they had come home down to nothing, it would have been a different environment perhaps. And it will be on Thursday night. Now the interesting thing, if, if Toronto pulls this, went the series went off and wins the NBA title, Leonard will have done what Durant desperately wants to do. Yes. Leonard would ha- will be given the sole credit for taking a team on his shoulders and driving them to an NBA championship, while Durant will have two rings that people will consider he got as a passenger. Look, Kevin Durant had the opportunity to do what LeBron did in Cleveland um, when he was in Oklahoma City. Yes. You know, once he joined Golden State and he jumped on the bandwagon. That's what he did. I yeah. mean, uh, we we can I mean, the debate which we've already had and we can continue to have and people will continue to have, are they better off with Durant? I don't know if they're better off with Durant. The bottom line is there's still a championship see, team without the Durant. Thing. The question is they're not are they better not... than Durant without Durant? Right. The question is can they win without Durant? And they can. That's tr- of course they can. They proved it before yes. he got there, and they they may be in the midst of proving it again. I don't personally think that you can say legitimately that Kevin Durant, a guy of his ability and talent, that somehow you're better off without him on the roster. No, that's the, really a stretch. Right, but again, that's not the question. Right, the question is, do you need Kevin Durant to win? And if you don't need Kevin Durant to win then Kevin Durant is never going to get the level of respect he so desperately wants because he's such a sensitive human being. So that leads to another Durant quote from over the weekend since Friday that people are talking about from over the weekend. He was asked by a reporter in a press conference, what do you think about their play, T-H-E-I-R, play, referring to how great the team's been without Durant during Durant's absence? And he said, our play? I think we've been playing great, close quote. Now, it was part of a much longer press conference where he had a lot of different things to say, including, you know, in response to, you know, sort of this notion that there's been a Kevin Durant storyline and the rest of the Warriors storyline since he's been here. He said, quote, it's been that way since I got here. It's the Warriors and KD. I understand that, and I feel like my teammates in the organization know exactly what I've done here on and off the court to become part of this culture and stamp my flag in this culture and this organization. I know what I bring to the team, but I also know that a lot of people on the outside don't like to see us together. I get it. Closed quote. The first part of that, though, our play, I think we've been playing great. That's a sensitive reaction. I don't care what the rest of 
the the context was, and I I listened to the whole thing start to finish. In that moment, he was reacting as Kevin Durant often does, and that is he's hurt by slights. He's hurt that people actually think that the Warriors might be better off without him. Here's the other part of that quote, what he said. He talked about he's tried to, you know, become part of the culture there. Okay? Guys like Kevin Durant are supposed to establish cultures. They're not supposed to blend in to a culture. They're supposed to be the one to create cultures. And that's part of the problem here. I mean, you know, he is, I mean, LeBron James created a culture. Allen Iverson created a culture. I mean, great players do that, and the culture is built around them. Well, if you're trying to create a culture, you don't go one year at a time contractually. That's true, too. So that, that's been a big part of why all this stuff and why KD's been a storyline year in and year out. Yeah, so, I mean, this is it. He's, that, a, he's brought he's that not, on himself. He's not a driver. He's a passenger. No matter, and, and that's not what great players are. You know, maybe at some point in their career – they they uh they they are forced in a situation where they become a passenger. You know, I always think of Earl Monroe when he got traded to the Knicks and he changed his game to Frazier. right to play with Fraser and be more selfless, and it wound up elevating his status as an NBA player as a result. But he didn't have a he was he was traded. And Kevin Durant made a choice to go play for Golden State. And he didn't go someplace and say. This is, you know, this is my team. I'm going to be the culture. He looked around and said, this is my best chance to get a ring. Definitely. Yes. I mean, that, there was going, if he didn't realize that jumping on an NBA championship team, you know, they had won one and lost one. And the one they lost is, you know, everybody knows the circumstances as to why they lost the second year. If he didn't understand that jumping on an existing championship caliber team was going to make him look like he was just trying to grab a ring, then he's really naive. I mean, it, it, or he doesn't. I, you could say he doesn't care, but he does care. He clear, obviously he clearly he, cares. He does. He he absolutely cares. And if he didn't want the year to year questioning about you know what he's going to do, then he should have signed a longer-term deal yeah. in Golden State and shouldn't be playing it year by year looking for the next best opportunity. But back to how this conversation started when you mentioned Kawhi. If Kawhi were to take... Um, ter- look, there are two things. If Kawhi takes Toronto to a title, he will have done what Kevin Durant couldn't do on his own in Oklahoma City. All right, with by the with way, arguably another, better better supporting cast. Yeah, Harden, Westbrook, yeah. and by the way, Serge Ibaka, yes. who's playing really well right now. Um, but he couldn't do that. Which LeBron, look, there's a difference between LeBron and Kevin Durant. Period. All right, it's people that don't think, and I'm not the biggest LeBron fan ever. LeBron James took a Cleveland team with Amon Shumpert as at one point the second best player on the team when they had lost Love and lost Kyrie to the NBA Finals. And they won a game or two. Didn't they win two games in that first year? they won two games that year. Um, Kevin Grant got close, got got to the Finals. But you know what? Westbrook played better in those Finals against the the Heat, against LeBron's Miami team. Um, But... And, and then couldn't get him through when they had a 3-1 lead and he went 10 for 31 in, a, in an opportunity to close out the Warriors in his last year uh, at Golden State. Um, any, by the way, that was another part of the criticism. It's like you couldn't beat him, so you joined him. Yeah. You know, and you had him beat, but then you played poorly. 
and you lost a 3-1 series lead and lost to the Warriors. But, you know, for Kevin Durant, it's like, I don't, he's had a, I know he's had a difficult circumstance, you know, personally. In his upbringing, in his current situation, I understand that there's a lot of stuff going on. And so we never know what some is in somebody's head and what's, what's working towards some of these answers. But if there's anybody with, you know, any kind of, you know, connection to Kevin Durant that he listens to, that answer is, is an opportunity for him. It's an opportunity to not be criticized, but to be lauded, to be complimented. And the answer is really simple. I love the way they're playing. They are playing so well. Steph stepped it up. Clay Thompson's playing great. Draymond's been incredible. Iguodala, how about Kevon Looney? How about some of the, the supporting role the players? They're playing great. I hope I'm healthy enough. I really want to get back and be a part of this thing. But how are they playing? They're playing phenomenally well. <laughs> That's the answer to that. Because any other answer is going to make you look like you're hurt and you're you're hypersensitive to criticism. And by the way, it was not an it was the the shot from the reporter was not intentional. Right, and you know the hypersensitivity. I don't think whatever it was. whatever he's going through. Uh, I don't I don't think that has anything to do with the hypersensitivity. That's just who he is. That this is who he is. He so so anyway, it it, it is who he is. Yeah. Uh, anybody that sets up fake Twitter accounts yeah. to you know knock down people who are criticizing you on your real Twitter account is and he's going to have to sensitive. carry that his whole career. So um, if Kawhi Leonard wins this title and Durant doesn't play, I believe I really do believe that Kevin Durant is the type of person that may be rooting for Kawhi Leonard to take his team out. <laughs> that he's sitting there because if they go on, it's what Chris Broussard said, and I, it's, any NBA fan, anybody that's been following the Kevin Durant story knew that Golden State going on a run and winning a title without him was his worst nightmare. Yes. I mean, come on. You're being naive if you, if you think he's bigger than that. He's not. And by the way, that's not massive criticism because a lot of people would feel that way. I hated it when I went on vacation and people loved the show with Tommy more than they <laughs> loved it with me on it. Um, but seriously, Gilbert Arenas just over the weekend did an interview. You pointed this out before the show. I hadn't heard it. But Arenas, you know, talked about you know how he would feel when he was on the bench and what he would be thinking about the players that were on the floor without him. Real quickly, though, actually, before I play it, I, I am going to give sort of a, a warning here. Gilbert drops a ton of f bombs during this answer. So yeah, he's the stand-up citizen that you would expect him to be. <laughs> actually, he's a great interview, and he did an interview on Fox FS1 with um, who's that? Drop dead gorgeous girl that used to be on the Colin Cowherd show. She's got her. She's got her own show now, and she did an interview with Gil. I forget her name. Can you look up her name? She did an interview with Gilbert Arenas like a month ago that I just happened to have been watching, and he was great. I mean, really, really, really entertaining. But anyway, um, I'm. Do you have her name? Just uh, Christine Leahy. Christine Leahy. That's who it is. Yep. Um. So this interview was with. 
some podcast, right? It, it's his own podcast. It's he has his a own podcast, podcast now. Okay. Yes. And he's talking with a couple of his co-hosts. Okay, so he's talking with a couple of his co-hosts on his own podcast, drops a lot of F-bombs. We're going to play it as it as he said it. We don't need to bleep that stuff out in the podcast world. But I just wanted to give you a heads up on that if you've got really small children in the car right now or you're listening at home. Um, but again, he's, he's answering um, how he felt from the bench when his team was playing well without him on the court. I was angry as fuck as a bench player. Like, I'm not clapping for shit you doing. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Hey, shit you, like, fuck that. You're not like, paid to be a cheerleader. I want your position. <laughs> yeah. I want your position. I don't want you to do good. Like, you miss. I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> two more misses. He missed two more. I'm like, in. two more misses. I, I know I'm in. Two turnovers, I know I'm in. So to sit there and celebrate and sit there and dance for him, I'm like, <laughs> y'all don't want to get in? Like, y'all don't, like, I, like, I was literally, I was literally, like, like, making sure the coach knew his flaws. Like, <laughs> come on, dude, get back on defense. <laughs> like, damn, man, he, he keeps getting beat. Like, hey, tighten up. He keeps, he keeps going left on you. Like, I was literally, like... You, but was, you would clap louder if you missed a shot. Like, oh, you got it that next time. But, next but it time. was literally, like, you're literally, like, like low-key hating yeah. on the guy in front of you. Or, like, if you're 15, <laughs> like, 12 and 13, like, you're really, like... Like, you've heard it before. You've, nah, you've I, know, I, know, I know what you're talking about. Damn, man, about. that's another shot. Come on, man, put your hands up. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's also. See, I didn't think it was f- that funny. Oh, I think it's hysterical, and I also think it's br- it's incredibly honest. And I would bet that more than seventy seventy five percent of real hardcore competitors think the same way. I don't think so. I do. No. I, and I, it, I by the way, I think I'm what, looking at a person that thinks that way. I think all the time. I think it shows <laughs> what a piece of garbage teammate he was. Oh, I'm not saying he was a great teammate. I'm just saying a lot of people think the same way competitively that they want to be out there and the guy that comes in replaces him may be the guy that replaces but, but him there's the difference between there's a difference between jealousy and and envy when when you're when you're envious which you, one are you of me uh, I'm neither <laughs> I'm neither <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I'm empathetic with you okay I'm sympathetic with you right because I am envious of you. When you're en- not jealous, but envious. When, when you're envious of somebody, you wish you had what they have. When you're jealous of somebody, you wish they didn't have it. Gilbert is wishes that his teammates didn't have the talent. If you're watching great talent from the bench, you're, you're, I mean, party has to be thinking, "I wish I had that." You know, I wish I was that good. I wish I was out there playing like that. But the other part, the evil part, is saying, "I wish that guy wasn't that good. I wish that guy was failing, so I could be out there." And I, th- I think there's a difference. I think it shows what he, co- what kind of human being the guy is. And I tell you what, it does. You know, we have a totally different reaction about this because I got so angry when I heard this. And here's who I got angry about: all the all the infants in this town that worshipped at the altar of Gilbert Arenas. When he was playing for the Wizards, including the media, who made him out to be this great character, this this uh, kind of unique human being that was so colorful and interesting, and basically he was just a piece of shit. That was it. Uh, he look, he can be all of those things. He can be interesting, and he can be but you see, I mean, really you can't good, and he can also be a piece, a piece of shit. Of shit. 
No. If, if, though, if you, you have all... if you, And I'm not suggesting that he's not that. I'm not. I'm just saying that that was an entertaining answer and a very honest answer because most people that feel that way would never admit it. They would never admit, admit it publicly. You know, it's not funny. It's, 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 in a way, it's the Kevin Durant argument. I that, mean, that's why I play. Yes, it there. I know. Yeah. I mean, that that's remarkable. That you know, in a way, I mean, I guess you'd have to give him credit for saying what Kevin Durant would never say. Yes, what I'm saying to you is that <laughs> would it really shock you or surprise you if Kevin Durant's sitting back there after they've won six in a row without him, and he's thinking, "Oh my God!" I mean, w- w- when you agreed that it's the worst, his worst nightmare come true, then by extension, you believe that deep down he's not wishing for them to be successful. You're right. You're right. And I think that a lot of, I think a lot of players, I think a lot of people in life, you know, it, it takes a rare sort of comfort level, confidence level in yourself to not fear your your teammate or your workmate doing much better than you. It really takes an incredibly insecure, uh, secure person to, to feel that way. And by the way, like, in Gilbert's case, you know, and even in Durant's case, maybe part of their insecurity is also what makes them so great and drives them so much is that they're always trying to make sure that nobody does end up being better. You know, no one no one is better than they are. But, like, I can't imagine that Michael Jordan, when he came out of a game in a playoff series, wasn't rooting for them to keep that lead or extend that lead because he just there are some people that just want championships and in the case of like a Michael Jordan like there's no threat of anybody ever no. believing that someone's better than him no so you get to a certain level where you are genuinely rooting for everybody on your team even when you are not there yes because but nobody... you have you have to have established a track record of success by that point on your own. Joe Montana. Has, in other words, has, in other words has, Kevin Durant didn't do that. If Kevin Durant went to Golden State and had won two or three titles with Oklahoma City, then maybe he'd have a whole, whole different attitude. Then maybe he he could be comfortable saying, "Look, it, I'm very happy for my teammates right. because I know I know what it takes to do what they're doing because I've done it." Right. Well, that would be you know <laughs> that would be the part that you don't necessarily have to say. You want others to say that yes. for you. But do I do I have this right? Um, wasn't Joe Montana very insecure about Steve Young there for when they were on on the team together and Young was playing games and he wasn't apparently very helpful? Am I remembering that correctly? I don't I, know if you are or not, but but you know that I, that is particularly an NFL unique thing. Look, at, we heard we've heard Theismann say that uh, when he when he was playing for the Redskins. He wanted every snap, every right. snap, because he didn't want the guy behind him getting any snaps. So, I mean, I, I think in football, the competitive nature and the fear of somebody taking your job is higher than any other sport. Yeah, I think I had that wrong, by the way, because I just pulled something up to, to read it. In, in Steve Young's autobiography, Young had nothing but good things to say about Montana. Um, he said they were two totally different people, which was which was why they weren't ever seen in the same place outside the football field. And maybe that's why I have that memory. Is maybe it was reported that they're not super close friends, that they don't hang out with one another. But Young, in his autobiography, said that he and Montana actually were 
were were helpful teammates. But, but, you but know, don't don't you think in football that's that's that, that the nature of fear of losing your job sure. is, is worse than any other sport, especially when there's only one person that can be on yeah. the field at that p- yeah. position at any so, given time. So I think in football that just comes comes with the territory. And watch out with Steve Young. He used to he used to give me a tie every year at the Super Bowl. Oh, he used I, to give me a Van Usen tie every I, year. I, I remember that. Yeah. Um, I I love Steve Young. I think Steve Young is actually, if it, if it's even possible, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in NFL history. Nobody puts him. Rarely do you hear him talk about you know being in that upper right top five to top seven group. I think he's he's very much in that group. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, Cooley made this point about after the draft. He said, God, I've heard a lot of people talking about how great the quarterback room is going to be for Haskins with Keenum and Colt McCoy there. He's like, what are you He's like, what are you guys talking about? Case Keenum and Colt McCoy want to start. They don't want to mentor. They're Colt not here McCoy to mentor has had Haskins. Enough. Colt McCoy has had enough of watching of, other people playing exactly. quarterback for this team. He's like, you're, you, you don't – he essentially said, you don't know the human competitive psyche – if you don't understand that Case Keenum and Colt McCoy don't want Haskins to be great, they want to start, and this is their opportunity, you know, to take a team and and hopefully get another contract at some point yeah. down the road. Now, let me ask you one other thing. Yeah. Uh, and people say, well, yeah, duh, this is obvious, but I don't think it's so obvious. I think it needs to be spoken about and talked about. You saw the photos of Alex Smith out there right yes uh and you know redskins had cropped the photos to make sure people didn't see the medieval like device he's still wearing uh, on his leg so they they, all the shots were from the knee up uh okay they drafted Dwayne Haskins Haskins is their quarterback of the future Alex Smith is never going to play a down for the Washington Redskins more likely than not okay so let's stop the pretense about his rehab, let's stop the pretense that he's going to play for this team. He's done. The Alex Smith era is over, right? Yes, I believe that. It, I okay. Think, I think once they drafted Dwayne Haskins yes. at fifteen, it was over. Yeah, it was over. I it's mean, if, over. if you didn't know it was, it wasn't already. I mean, because all of the reports, he still has that thing I know. around his leg. That's what the medieval vice I'm talking <laughs> yes. about. Yes. So that I mean, he's never going to play quarterback for the Redskins. I don't think again. he's ever going to play again. He probably won't. But the Alex and and you know, Pete, Pete, I mean, look, it happened through circumstances beyond their control. Obviously, the injury, but uh, the Redskins. A lot of Redskins fans get real chesty about the situation Minnesota is in with Kirk Cousins and how much they're having to pay him for the next two years. I, I usually point out to these people that the Redskins have their own quarterback hole that they're paying money to. For, for years, and it's Alex Smith. And you can say, well, that was something that beyond his control, that, that he got hurt. They couldn't have expected that. No one forced the Redskins to give this guy a $77 million contract extension after they traded for him. That's right. He still had a year left on his existing contract. Um, that is 100% correct. And to take it a step further, because as you were talking, I was thinking about why – they continue to talk about his rehab as if there's still a chance because they have not said they have not closed the no. door on Alex Smith. They don't want to close the door on Alex Smith. This is an look. The bottom line is, you know, even before the injury, 
it was not apparent that this was a trade worth making. Right. He had not played well. You know, he had, he was not a good fit for Jay Gruden. Maybe that fit was going to improve, and maybe it's it was way too premature to, you know, basically close the door on the possibility that Alex Smith was going to become a better quarterback with Jay Gruden as his coach in Washington, but he was not performing at a high level. It was not a good fit with Jay Gruden's offense. I can tell you definitively that there was there was a lot of frustration among the coaches with Alex Smith early on that this was not what they thought. And going back to the day of the trade, I mean, it was it was not thought to be that that the football people were totally on board with Alex Smith. It's not like again, and I say this all the time about Jay Gruden. He's go along to get along. You know, Bruce Allen said, "What do you think about Alex?" Well, I think he's a good player. So all of a sudden, the next day, you know, yeah. a few weeks later, they make the trade. Oh no, Jay was in on it. Jay Jay did not spend time evaluating quarterbacks, free agents, potential trade targets. Or rookie quarterbacks going into the 2018 draft like he did in this offseason. He likes Case Keenum. He thinks Case Keenum is a good fit for what he does. He was not necessarily of the same opinion of Alex Smith. And it played out that way. It was not a great fit for him. So to your point, the trade was a bit pricey. I I you you made this point over and over again. I think there's some truth to it that they needed to do something at the quarterback position to make you forget that they had completely botched the Kirk Cousins situation. No matter how you feel about Kirk Cousins, they botched it seven ways to Sunday. They could have had him under contract uh you know for a song basically relative to where the salaries are now and they didn't do that cuz they had no vision and then when they should have traded him, they didn't trade him. All right, they 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 fucked it up twice. All right, so this was sort of an answer to, hey, look at who we got, look at who yeah. I brought in. I'm Bruce Allen. I brought in Alex Smith. He got injured. They gave him the big contract extension, and it wasn't working even before he got injured. So it's easier for Bruce to push the, you know, shutting the door on Alex Smith's career in Washington down the road. Yeah. Hopefully after either Case Keenum or Dwayne Haskins has proven to be a yeah. good replacement. Yeah, so let's remember that. Alex Smith is done with the Redskins. Yes. I think he's done, period. I think he is too. I mean, I you know, I think the next by the way, the, the next important injury to keep it to keep an eye on is just this Reuben Foster thing. Cause when they do the ACL surgery, remember they said that's when they're going to find out if there was nerve damage. Right. If there's nerve damage, you got to wonder about his future. Yeah. As well. All right. Um, quick word about launch workplaces in Bethesda. If you're considering an office move and you live in the Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Upper Northwest DC area, please consider launch workplaces in Bethesda. They've got brand new fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks. They've got high-speed internet, a cafe, free parking and plenty of it, and 24-7 access. You get more work done today by moving your office out of your home or out of your existing office to launch workplaces in Bethesda. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial, 240-800-6714. That's 240-800-6714 or launchworkplaces.com. They've got other facilities throughout the area, and you can find out about all of those at launchworkplaces.com. All right, a couple of things just to finish up uh, the show. The Nats did take three of four 
um, from the Marlins over the weekend. They they blew the game yesterday. They had the bases loaded in the bottom of the eighth with an opportunity to tie it or even better. Um, and they didn't get the tying run or even the go-ahead run in. But they did win the first three. And I think going into this series, you would say if they can win three out of four, that's a pretty good deal. They're still nine and a half back, I think. Um, yeah, look, it, you would. Marlins nor- had won six in a row coming I in. I know that. You would say that normally. But you've got to win Max Scherzer's starts. The one game you think they should have won was the start that they lost mm-hmm. with Scherzer, who's now 2-10. and ten. One earned run yesterday. That's it. Yeah, so, I mean... Uh, you know, again, my contention is they can dig their way out of this to be a 500 team maybe by the end of the year, but not to compete for the division title. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you can't. You can tinker with a bullpen over the course of a season and fix it as you go along. Uh, you can't rec- reconstruct an entire bullpen over the course of a season, which is what they're facing. I mean, they're not just – we're not talking about one or two pitchers that they've got to replace uh, because I've told you, bullpens evolve over the course of a year. They change. That's nothing new. But uh, to have 80% of the bullpen unusable, basically, where the manager is afraid to bring 80% of the pitchers in that bullpen in, uh, you can't have that. That, that you know, That's not, that's not going to s- sustain success. So uh, what it did was – it, it kept the Wolves at bay. That's that's about the only thing it accomplished in terms of calling for people's heads. Because, I mean, again, if they had lost to the – if they had lost uh, three out of four to the Marlins and then, you know, screwed up on this, on this uh, road trip, they're going to Atlanta, I think, and then Cincinnati maybe after that. I'm not sure. If, by the time they came home the next time, mm-hmm. I think Davey would have lost his job. Um. Really, I think so. I just think it would have, however unfair or however reluctant Mike would have been to do it. I think if they had lost the series to the Marlins and then went on the road and 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 continued to lose, I mean, I we, we'd be talking about a situation where you'd be losing what eleven out of the last fourteen or fifteen games. Right. You can't you, you can't live with that. I, but I, right now, right now. Davey Martinez isn't going anywhere. I may have been one of few um, watching the game because there were even fewer attending the game yesterday. But um, I, I I would just ask why Max Scherzer comes out at the end of six innings with 103 pitches. Now, two of the three runs that the Marlins got after Scherzer left the game were unearned. And I don't know if you saw the play where Turner threw high um, to uh, to Matt Adams uh, at first. Uh, they charged that error to Turner. I thought Adams, it was a catchable ball at first, but whatever. Um, there were two unearned runs of the three that were scored when, when, when uh, or the other two, um, I'm sorry, two un- unearned runs after Scherzer left the game. So you can't put it all on the bullpen yesterday. But at 103 pitches after six innings, given... The, the the troubles they've had. Why wouldn't you send them out for the seventh? Okay, here's what I don't know. Maybe you know this. Uh, do you know what kind of conversation Scherzer and Dave Martinez had I at don't. the end? I don't. Neither do I. Okay. Okay. This is what I always point out to people. There. Are, I mean, when people Dave Martinez talks to talks to either the relievers or the pitching coach or the bullpen coach mm-hmm. or all three before every game, 
And all those relievers know in this situation, this is how you're going to be used. If this comes up, this is how you're going to be used. They, they, I mean, the one thing that Dave Martinez does is communicate. So we have, and, and this is the difference between information and knowledge. Uh, 103 pitches doesn't seem like much given the fact, I mean, you, if he goes out there and throws a 15-pitch inning, that it still seems manageable. That's one less inning. You have to go to the bullpen. You don't know if Scherzer came back in the dugout and said, I'm, I'm done or I'm tired. We just don't know. And, again, until you know that, you can't make the judgments. Now, again, I don't know if that was asked in the postgame press conference. I wasn't there. I don't know if anyone asked Max you know, how did you feel when you came out of the game? And to be honest with you, yep. and I'm not accusing Max of this at all because I think Max is a stand-up guy. I've seen lots of pitchers when the manager walks out to the mound, I've seen lots of pitchers beg out of games, tell the manager I'm tired, and then in a post-game press conference say the exact opposite, and the manager has to protect them. That happens more often than you'd be surprised. Because uh, no one wants to stand in front of their locker and say, I wanted to come out. Right. All right. Well, um, I, I I trust you. I just think. Uh, you I'm just, just don't know. No, I don't you, know. No, you're right. But it, and it seems like Scherzer, that six-inning mark and somewhere around you know 100 to 115 pitches tends to be the spot. Well, and he's got to be more efficient. He's got to be better. His he, last three starts have been six-inning starts. Yeah, he's but he, be, he had a seven-inning start when they had a lead against the Dodgers yeah, in it, LA. It doesn't excuse them losing his starts, but he's going to have to be – like Strasburg's been pretty efficient in the games where he's pitched well. Right. Uh, Scherzer ha, has to be that efficient. Now they go to Atlanta to play the Braves. they got to win another series. you got to win the series. Right. Simple as that. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he, he's given up one earned run in his last two starts, and they've yeah. lost both games. And Strasburg pitches uh, the today. first game today. Tonight, yeah. Um, uh, the, the couple of other things real quickly to get to from, from over the weekend. Uh, first of all, the story about um, Evgeny uh, Kuznetsov and entering a room with people that he claims he didn't know and lines of cocaine sitting on the table. You, you read this, right? Yes, I did. What do you think? Okay, uh, I I don't know if he did the cocaine or not. You know, he claims he didn't. Here's here's the doubt. Oh, just to be clear, he's denied ever using drugs. Yes. All right. This was a video that surfaced to him uh, surfaced of him sitting next to a table, in which there were two lines of of white powder. All right, in a in a hotel room with a a female lying in bed in the background. Right. Here's, here's where you, you put yourself in a situation like this uh, for exactly this reason. And this is why uh, people like stars like this, they have to be smarter about this. You put yourself in a situation, first of all, cocaine's illegal, okay? So you put yourself at legal risk in, in a situation like this. Uh, you may think that's minimal, but you do. The other thing is, you put yourself at risk of being extorted in a situation like this. I mean, I mean, let's say if you're a gambler and you've got photos of, let's say, of, of an athlete using cocaine or around cocaine or a situation like this. You say, hey, just give me the inside information about what's going on. Right. And these photos will never see the light of day. You put yourself at risk for being extorted and therefore compromising your talent 
and your teammates' talent. That's th those are worst case scenarios. Even if you didn't use the cocaine. Um. This is why I always say in politics. I, 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 let me, this is what oh, I sorry. always say in politics when people will say, "Well, somebody's somebody's personal life has nothing to do with politics." I say it does if it puts that office at risk. In other words, if your personal life is something that you want to cover up and somebody has information about that, they can extort that information to get something out of the office. So no matter how noble you may think about your personal life being your personal life, it, 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 it will affect your professional life, and it does in this situation. Have you watched the video? Yes. Okay, so... Um he is, this is apparently him sitting in, in front of this table with two lines of white powder, a couple of rolled up uh, bills, um, and a female in a bed uh, lying down in the I background. I think they're $20 bills, aren't they? Um, I can't tell what they are, but okay. if, if you saw it reported that they're $20 bills, that's fine. But basically, he told um, Sport Express, which is a Russian media site. First of all, this happened during... Post, post post Stanley Cup post, finals post party time right um and he said uh, the 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 video that was taken last summer after the Caps won the Stanley Cup um, he said he left the room as soon as possible after seeing unfamiliar women there and strange substances on the table he said he's never used drugs was ready to undergo a medical examination to prove okay. it the Caps Caps say we are aware of the video that surfaced on social media of Evgeny Kuznetsov. We are currently in the process of gathering facts and we'll have no further comment at this time. I mean, you have to take him at his word at this point. Yeah, right? he, he is. Uh, he's actually ap apparently videotaping himself from his phone during the video that's being taken of him. Um, but anyway, uh, he doesn't seem to be super uncomfortable with the two lines of white powder right in front of him. Yeah. Um, as you watch this video. So I guess my immediate reaction is I guess you take him at his word, but if you see the video, it doesn't look like he immediately got up uh, and left the hotel room yeah. after seeing unfamiliar women in two yeah. lines of white powder. He, he didn't say in Russian, is that baking soda? <laughs> he didn't say that, did he? Uh, no. I don't think so. Uh, Buckner, Bill Buckner passed away this weekend, so did Bart Starr. Yeah. Uh, look, Bill Buckner is part of one of the greatest plays in, in of my lifetime as a Mets fan. You know, I mean, what happened in 1986 was literally a miracle, uh, almost as miraculous as the 69 Mets going from eighth place to first place and winning a World Series. Uh, and, and, and there's all sorts of drama that surrounds it. Bill Buckner left in. Uh, when he should have been replaced for defensive purposes that late in the game by John McNamara, the Red Sox manager, on the ground ball from Mookie Wilson that goes through Buckner's legs. There's a lot of people that believe Mookie Wilson would have would have reached first safely whether Buckner fielded or not. You know, whether he caught that ball or not, Mookie Wilson was a very fast runner, and Ray Knight was the guy who scored uh, what turned out to be the winning run in that game where there was champagne already in the Red Sox uh, locker room because they were up uh, they were up three games to two going into that game six and they were and they were up in the game in that last inning all ready to celebrate and then Ray Knight scored the, the winning run uh, and then they went on to win and people forget that was game six there was yeah, a game, was game seven yeah. that the Red Sox led in at Shea yeah. yeah the Red Sox led in game seven and blew that game too yeah 
They did. Um, and he was he was a he was a great hitter. Uh, I think he has almost a 300 batting average in his career, just short of 3,000 hits. Uh, and he deserved better than to be known for that one snafu. Bart Starr, if you can be underrated with five NFL championships to your credit, <laughs> Bart Starr is underrated. No doubt. Uh, he still has the highest completion percentage in playoff history. In playoff history. That's pretty remarkable. I didn't. I don't remember Bart Starr. I don't. I didn't get a chance to see Bart Starr play. Um, I've always had this feeling, though, from reading about Bart Starr, that the team around him was as good as any team in NFL history around a quarterback, and that he was really, truly the first of the winning game manager style quarterbacks. I think that's a bit unfair. It is. Yeah, I think it is. Look, jo- Johnny Unitas was. I always thought the greatest quarterback of all time, maybe until Tom Brady came along. Uh, Johnny Unitas had Hall of Famers all around him, too. Okay. Uh, arguably more weapons offensively than, than Bart Starr did. Um, so, uh, What made Bart Starr so great? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, in a way, he was, he was a lot like Lombardi. Uh, he demanded a lot of himself. He was unflappable. In, in terms of pressure, he was remarkably tough. In the ice bowl mm-hmm. where they played Dallas in the, in the NFL title game. 67 NFL championship And game. he does the quarterback sneak behind Jerry Kramer mm-hmm. over Jethro Pugh to win the game. Bart Starr had been sacked eight times in that game. And the stories were that his face was swollen like a boxer after that game from being hit so many times. Jethro Pugh got frostbite yeah. in that game. So so I just think it, uh, a level of toughness, uh, a level of intelligence, a lot like Lombardi. This is why Lombardi uh, and John Eisenberg, the great writer from Baltimore, wrote a story about this called The First Season, about the first year Lombardi was there in, in 59 and how Bart Starr, I think, was the third-string quarterback when Lombardi arrived, and he, he – identified him as the quarterback he wanted to 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 change the franchise and and that's when the Packers really turned things around when when Lombardi came in and saw that Bart Starr could carry out the game the way Lombardi wanted him to you can call game manager if you want but it was a lot of responsibility to and and tremendous tremendous guts to win five NFL championships. The MVP of the first two Super Bowls, I might want to point out. You know, I, I was looking this morning through a bunch of lists, you know, of just the greatest quarterbacks because, I, 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 I mean, we've done it a lot over the years, but I wanted to just refresh my memory as to where Bart Starr is. And he's consistently in the top 20, Yeah, you know, the top 25 of the greatest quarterbacks of, of all time. But he's not in anybody's top 10. No, he's not. You know, he, he that's that's not what he was. Um but, you know, it leads me to just an, another quarterback conversation to finish up the show today. And this conversation's about Donovan McNabb, who over the weekend told TMZ Sports, and this may have been from Friday, um, on whether or not he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He said, absolutely, I'm not hesitating on that. I am a Hall of Famer. My numbers speak for itself. My numbers are better than Troy Aikman. But he has Super Bowl rings, and he's played with Hall of Famers as well. Uh, McNabb, you know, obviously the, the Hall of Fame portion of his career, if you believe he's a Hall of Famer, which I don't, um, was played in Philadelphia, obviously not Washington or Minnesota. 
but you know, in 167 career games, he completed 59% of his passes for 37,276 yards and 234 touchdowns, and those numbers are better than Aikman's. I mean, Aikman threw for 32,942 yards and 165 um, touchdowns. Um, and he said, McNabb said, when they look at my numbers, yeah, I'm a Hall of Famer. But then they always want to add the other stuff into it. Was he an all-pro? Was he this? How many Super Bowl opportunities? But people don't realize how hard it is to get to the NFC Championship, and I got there five times and then made it to a Super Bowl. Uh, it's tough. Um, McNabb had a really good career. I can think of off the top of my head, off the top of my head, um, two quarterbacks right from the jump that I would consider to be that are not in the Hall of Fame that I consider to be more Hall of Fame worthy than Donovan McNabb. One is Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson had an amazing career for the time, too, um, and is not in the Hall of Fame. And I always felt, Tommy, that, that, uh, that, that a guy like Bernie Kosar didn't get enough recognition. I think Bernie Kosar is one of the more underrated, really good quarterbacks. And I think that he would – I'm not saying he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and I'm not saying Ken Anderson definitely deserves to be in it before McNabb. But both of those guys I would take before I would even think of McNabb. Hell, I might even think about guys like um, Phil Sims or, or Randall. How about Randall Cunningham before you think – of Donovan McNabb. McNabb's not a Hall of Famer. He's just not a Hall of Fame quarterback. And we can go through the numbers, but it's like we always say this when we have this conversation. You know it when you see it. And Donovan McNabb was not a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. No, I don't think he was either. And you're right. I mean, I think the greatest quarterback to ever play for the Eagles in our lifetime was Randall Cunningham. So... Now, here's an interesting one. That's what I, mean, I said, that you could yeah, make the case for, yeah. for Cunningham maybe even more than, than McNabb. I just don't think McNabb is, is, an, is, is a Super Bowl quarterback. I, I'm, you don't have to go through the comparisons about who is or who isn't, but he just doesn't get it that it's more than just a numbers game. It, 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 it's people, especially for the people who, see, who have seen him play. Here's an interesting one. Jim Plunkett. We've had two, we've, two Super Bowls. Yeah, we've had that conversation he, before. He, Jim Plunkett's not a Hall of Famer. Phil no. Sims isn't a Hall of right. Famer. Um, nor should he be. And by the way, I want to make it clear. I think of the people that I mentioned, Ken Anderson is the one that I would definitely consider that his career was sort of Hall of Fame worthy. But he only got to one Super Bowl and lost yeah. to the 49ers. Um, but you know, was the first of the super high completion percentage guys. Yes. Um, and here's the other thing: it doesn't matter what Donovan McNabb says; he's not going to be a Hall of Fame. He's not going to be a Hall of he's Fame. He's not getting elected to the Hall of Fame. There are guys that are way in front of Donovan McNabb statistics-wise um, that aren't, if because his whole argument would be based on numbers and the fact that he did quarterback a team five times to to the NFC Championship game. But guys like Vinny Testaverde and you know Carson Palmer and uh, Boomer Esiason's got better career numbers yeah. than Donovan McNabb. Alex Smith has remarkably uh, similar numbers. He does. Alex Smith's got similar numbers to to McNabb. Yeah, I, I mean, overall, he has better completion percentage. He's only about uh, here. It is three thousand. Yeah, three thousand yards, yards shy. Him. It's close. 
if you're just going by numbers. Right. Um, yeah, so it really doesn't matter what he says. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. Not to mention that in some of the postseason losses, he didn't play great. You know, he didn't if – you, if you go back through all of those postseason opportunities, remember – they lost some of those original opportunities in, in NFC Championship games at home. You know, they lost to Tampa at home. They lost to Carolina at home in the NFC Championship before beating, I think it was Atlanta in the NFC Championship game to get to the Super Bowl. But he played so poorly in those two NFC Championship games at home, the first two chances uh, he had to get to the Super Bowl. And everybody knows how he played in the actual Super Bowl game itself. He threw three interceptions in that game and vomited on himself yeah. you know, late in, in that uh, Super Bowl loss uh, to, uh, to New England. Um, I'm just looking at his, and I, I just pulled it up, his overall postseason numbers. 24 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, 59% completion percentage. Um, but here are the numbers. I just remembered him playing poorly against Tampa in that f- the first NFC title game he had a chance in St. Louis against the Rams, and they played well in a game in which they were a big underdog. And he threw for 171 yards, but that was his first NFC title game. The next two years when they had great regular seasons and they lost to Tampa and Carolina at home in the NFC title game, he, against Tampa, um, 26 of 49, 243 yards, no touchdowns, one pick in that 27-10 loss to Tampa. Carolina, when they lost at home, 14-3 to at the Vet in the NFC title game, 10 of 22, 100 yards, three picks in that NFC Championship game. Um, and then in that Super Bowl against New England, three touchdowns, three interceptions Yeah, he's in just, that Super Bowl game. He's not getting in. Simple. He'll have to settle for whatever the Eagles Hall of Fame is called. Yeah. He's, Simple he's as just, that. He's not a Hall of Famer, and he's not better than Troy Aikman. No. And Troy Aikman definitely had a better supporting cast around him. Troy Aikman, you know, th- th- that's a, it's a reasonable debate to have about Troy Aikman's career and whether or not he could do that or elevate a team that didn't have all that talent around him. I don't know if he could have or couldn't have, but Troy Aikman was a phenomenally accurate thrower. He was a great NFL pocket passer. He, he, some people view him as one of the most accurate throwers of the football of all time. That he was so sharp, so smart, and so perfectly accurate in throwing the ball. He had a great supporting cast. Yes. I mean, and by the way, with Jimmy on incredibly well coached teams, uh, his career too was shorter than McNabb's. Uh, he played how many years did did Aikman play? Four, eight. He played twelve years. Okay, so they're comparable. In terms what's of remarkable is, and this is you know, uh, like we need any more evidence, but I always refer to Redskins Park as the elephant graveyard of the NFL, where careers come to die. There's no better example than what happened to Donovan McNabb after he got traded from Philadelphia to here Washington. Talk about a career that went in the toilet. It went. It was at quickly. the end anyway, which is went, why Andy retraded him. It went quickly. Yeah, didn't go well in Minnesota no, with him didn't. either. For him either. Uh, I think that's it. Did you have anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. Okay. Um, there was this story about this high school five-star player that's going to go play in New Zealand. This guy named Hampton. Um, we can save that for another time if we if we feel like it. And uh, 
The only thing I will say to Aaron is I know you didn't watch this, but I did watch on Sunday night the two-hour documentary, the Games, the Game of Thrones documentary, oh and they God. had incredible footage from the final season table oh. reads. I would like to see those. Ta- Have you ever watched the table reads for some of these shows that you love? Oh, yeah. They're, they're movies, really yeah. interesting. Very interesting. But you know who knew nothing about the script until the final table read was Kit Harington. So you see his reaction to various things, including him killing Daenerys, and uh, it was pretty entertaining to watch. Other than that, it wasn't a great two hours. Uh, but like a geek, you watched it. Yep, I did watch it. I did, and I enjoyed. Now, the that's whole thing. not a uniform kind of thing. You don't wear uniform. No, I didn't get dressed up for that. Right? Okay. I didn't get dressed up for that. I didn't think so. All right, thanks to, uh, to Aaron, and thanks to Tom, and thanks to John Kime. Um, John didn't join us, but we use some of the sound John, from John his Kime, podcast. John who, who works for ESPN. And covers the Redskins. And covers the Washington Redskins. Exactly. Yes. Um, have a great day.